Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. We're going to go ahead and open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 3. The book of Matthew, chapter 3. Setting up this chapter, uh, we see that a man named John the Baptist has been... uh, doing the work of a prophet. He's going around, he is preaching, Um, people are getting convicted, they are repenting, they are going to him to get baptized, and at this moment, John is baptizing people, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees are seeing the crowds, and they decided to do what any good politician does, and that's join the bandwagon where the people are. And so what they're doing, for those, just to recap, Sadducees and Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day, and they thrived on crowds, because if the crowds would follow them, they would have the power to do what they needed to do. And what's taking place is that the crowds are now leaving them and going to John the Baptist. And as you can imagine, they're not really happy about it. So they go out to see John and to get baptized, to show how they and John are on the same team, and John baptized us, we're spiritual too. And then John uh, decides that uh, he is not okay with this. In fact, in verse 7, he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to him, to his baptism, and he said to them, broad of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say yourselves that we have Abraham as our fathers, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these very stones. And now even the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear fruit, good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he is coming after me that is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not even worry, worthy to carry. For he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Leading up to that time, uh, John the Baptist has been baptizing with water. And the fruit of that is repentance. He is baptizing men, women, and children into this idea of a heart change and things are moving on. But he tells us in this passage right here that there will be a day where there will be a new type of baptism. He says that there will be someone coming that will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, what John is doing is he's giving a prophetic word of something that's about to take place. He is giving a unction. For those, we'll go through this in in another series. uh, uh, The idea of a prophetic word is not to condemn somebody to hell and call out their sins in front of the audience, but to let you know a foretelling of what is to come. John is foretelling that there will be somebody to come, and you're currently getting baptized by me with water and repentance, but there will be a new type of baptism. Now, here's the kicker. Even though this is the first time in the New Testament that we see the idea of the Holy Spirit, John did not invent the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit has not been dormant, and then all of a sudden God released him, In the New Testament, in Genesis, we see the Holy Spirit, His Spirit hovering over the waters of the deep. We see His Holy Spirit 
every part of what's going on in the Old Testament. Uh, we, we see that in Numbers 11, that he would rest on different men and they would prophesy. Uh, we see him uh, going through judges and men like Gideon. We see him on Othniel and Japheth. And we see him on uh, Samson even. We see him on Samuel. You'd see these moments where the Holy Spirit would rest on these men and they would do incredible things. Uh, picture it this way. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would use humanity as an Airbnb. In the New Testament, he wants a permanent residence. The Holy Spirit wasn't dormant throughout creation, throughout history, and then Jesus came on, and then he was released from his prison and able to do things. No, no, no. I need you to understand that the theology of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of his presence, has been around since the beginning of time. This isn't something new since Azusa Street. This isn't something new since the people decided to handle snakes and get crazy. This isn't something new for a postmodern church. The idea of the Holy Spirit being active in the lives of every man, woman, and child is nothing new, but has been around since the beginning. Let's take Samson for a second. In one story alone, Samson took a jawbone of a donkey and killed 1,000 men. That's pretty impressive. We ooh and awe over that. But let's just talk about that for a second. Let's say I grab a baseball bat and I go to crack somebody over the head. And everybody in here knows that I'm going after every single person. H how many men do you hypothetically think it would take to bum rush me to the ground and take the battle away? Three? Four at the most? Rusty says one. Really? <laughs> He's right. I said man, not Rusty. He's exactly right. <laughs> you know what? I wasn't going to do anything, but I had it, an idea, and you gave me permission. Um, no, here's the thing, though. I don't feel like in the Old Testament, a thousand men just lined up and go, next, next, next. So this idea that Samson could take on a thousand men without guns, without bombs, without anything, with a bone, lets me know he had something special on his life. Because the Bible would tell us in Judges that the Spirit would push him. The Spirit would do something. Samuel would rise up and go. And here's the other kicker. We've seen this in cartoons and probably in children's Bibles and everything else. Samson looks humongous. But here's the problem that I'm having, and I'm going to take a little bit of liberty because we don't have a description of his height, weight, and size. But we do have this. The, 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 the Philistines get his woman, and they ask her this one question, tell us where his strength comes from. You know what that tells me? That Samson wasn't seven foot two, 380 pounds of muscle. Because if he was, they'd go, it's obvious in how freakishly strong he is. I feel like Samson probably wasn't the, the Adonis that was portrayed. I feel like he's more like Rusty. I don't feel, see, there you go. I don't feel like there was this overwhelming. And here's the thing that I think is crazy is that the Holy Spirit doesn't need perfection. He just needs permission. 
John tells us there will be a day where the Holy Spirit stops being the Airbnb and starts having permanent residence in your life. So Jesus comes on the scene. He is baptized. He is filled with the Spirit. He does what? He heals. He raises the dead. He walks on water. He calms storms. He casts out demons. He vanishes. There's a story where they tried to kill him, and he just walks right through them. Jesus does countless things. He, the loaves and fishes he multiplies. We see him continually doing mighty, mighty feats of, uh, of incredible opportunities because he's filled with the Spirit. Now, so the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament gives men and women the ability to do things they shouldn't be able to do on their own. Jesus gets crucified, he goes down, he comes back up, and literally at the last section of the last part of the last chapter of the book of Matthew, he says, go and teach the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. This is the first time we are seeing this take place. And this is the issue that we're running into with our churches today is because we all understand the idea. This is not a, a ritualistic saying that we do. We baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Next. Boom, boom. What he's saying is there are three levels of this relationship that you have to encounter. And we all have it. We all get baptized in the Father, his love, his grace. We see him as the creator. We see him as the designer. We see him as the everything. We see him uh, that we are all created on purpose and without mistake, that we are designed, that we are placed. We see this idea and we have these moments in our lives where we begin to, to understand that maybe we're not alone in the universe. There is a God. Maybe you didn't know his name. Maybe you have no idea what's going on. But you feel like there's something bigger than out there. The second, he says, baptize in the name of the Son. Because it, what should take place is once you get from understanding that there is something out there, there will always be a moment where you realize you don't compare to him. To be the God of the universe means he has to be greater than I. So I have to come to this moment in my life where I realize that I am not he, and I am a fallen person. And we get to this idea that we realize that there has to come this moment. The next step is to understanding who Jesus is, that he is the lamb, that he is the sacrificial, uh, uh, the lamb that was here to wash away all of our sins. And we find ourselves being baptized in the blood of who Jesus is and coming up new. For we were once dead in our trespasses, but we have been made alive because we were baptized in him. And then the church stops. We, we have let go of this third idea. Jesus tells us, like any good telemarketer on QVC in the middle of the night, but wait, there's more. The idea is not that we just believe in God the Father. He's the creator of it all. The idea is not that we get baptized through the Son and just get saved. The idea is that we have another step. That we have to do something bigger than ourselves. 
And Jesus says there's a third level called the Holy Spirit. In fact, he says it's so important that don't do anything good for me until you have it. Yeah, Acts chapter 1. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts 1. We've got a few. I'm not going to be long today because I just we're going to see what happens. Acts chapter 1. Jesus has died. He's come back again. He's told them that you will go into the nations preaching, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in verse uh, 4, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John does what? He baptizes you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He looks and says, don't do anything until this takes place in your life because you need it for your life. Because what Jesus understands and what we have not understood is that without the Holy Spirit, we are left to our carnal minds coming up with our carnal ideas. Without the Holy Spirit, I am left up to my own devices to figure out my divinity. I am left up... Oh, come on. We are left up to our own weaknesses. We are left up to our own thi- uh, we, uh, our thoughts. We are left up to our ideas. We are left up to our school books. We are left up to our intelligence. And the entire time, Jesus is saying, you need more than what you currently have. Now, I don't know about you, but when it comes to my ideas, they're not good enough. When it comes to my intelligence, I'm not smart enough. When it comes to my weaknesses, I'm not strong enough. And here's where we are. We sing these hymns that I am nothing, I am weak, I am a sinner, and those are all true. But, but, once we find ourselves being filled with the Spirit, it's no longer you, but we. And what happens is that we go in, we understand who God is, we understand who Jesus is, then we get filled with the Holy... I think I need to break this down a little bit. Acts chapter 19. I'm sorry, guys, that y'all don't have scriptures. This is kind of one of those things I'm on the fly here. Acts chapter 19. Paul is at Ephesus, which at this moment in Ephesus is not that he's speaking to uh, our Gentiles, which means that they're not Jews, which means that they were not raised in the synagogue, which means they had no real understanding of who God was. They had the idea of little, little gods all over the place. In Acts chapter 19, it happens while Apollos was in Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, We have not so much as heard where there is a Holy Spirit. So he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So in other words, let me know on this scale of, of, Holy, of, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where did you stop the transition? And they said to him, into John's baptism, which was what? A baptism into repentance. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him, who would come after him, that is Christ Jesus. Now watch what happens next. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Can you guys put that on the screen for me? 
Acts chapter 19. I'm on uh, verse 5 now. Acts 19.5, please. He asked them, where were you baptized? They say we were baptized unto John. So then he explains, and then they get baptized what? Into the Son. Remember? Verse 6, and when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with new tongues and were prophesied. They start off with the baptism of John into repentance. They understand at this moment the baptism of Jesus. Then John takes it a step further and asks them, do you know about the Holy Spirit? They have no idea what's going on. And then he lays hands on them and they receive. This trifecta is what should be happening in every church in America. I got one. Let me put it this way. In the Old Testament the Holy Spirit was seen as a divine privilege. God chose you, Samson. God chose you, Gideon. God chose you to do this wonderful act. He would choose David, sing these psalms and prophesy. He chose Saul to one day prophesy. He would choose anybody he would want, and it was in awe of the people around them, how special you must be that God chose you to let the Holy Spirit rest in you. In the New Testament, Jesus says, it's not just you were chosen, but it's a necessity of your everyday life. Don't do anything until it happens. And in the modern church, the Holy Spirit is an embarrassment. He goes from a, a special connection, a, a chosen person, to a necessity of life, to now he is an embarrassment to our modern churches. How can you say that? Because we're constantly living in a world now where if I can't intellectually explain what's taking place, it's not good. I see this take place in the Old Testament how many people could intellectually understand what was taking place with Samson? No one understood except for his abilities that came. And this is the kicker that we find. You don't have to have all the understanding and a PhD in who the Holy Spirit is to have the Holy Spirit. Because here's the kicker, your fruits will speak for yourselves. I don't have to get up and explain how I am filled all the time. What should take place is that my fruit triggers a what the heck is that? That's the difference. That's how you walk this walk. That's how we understand what's taking place. And our biggest lost language that we've seen right now in our churches and today is that we have lost the language of the Holy Spirit in our churches. Because we have been made to feel ashamed to be people filled with the Holy Spirit. You're a weirdo. You don't understand. Bless your heart. Oh, he's one of them. Oh, she's kind of like that. We can't be around them because they may pray in tongues. And then it may jump on us. I hope it does. Like It gets to this place in our lives where you have been convinced to hide in the shadows. 
You have been convinced and conditioned by the churches in America to be embarrassed of the gift of the Holy Spirit and to deny it at its utmost and keep it in the closet at your house. You have completely believed this lie that it's better for you to be silent at home, silent in public, and do whatever you want to do out there than it is to have an embrace and the encounter together. Because what's going on is that it makes people uncomfortable when you have something that they don't have and when you can do something that they can't do. The truth is, people hate you already. Give them something to talk about. They're already talking. You go to that church. Can I tell you, New Life was founded on this principle. The, uh, John Varner was at a Baptist church doing his thing. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and they did not like it. So he gathers people, not because he thought it was a good idea to talk about God and to plant a church. He was kicked out of one group of church people because they hated his connection to the Holy Spirit, and this is what this whole place was bought on. We were raised in the concept that you too can have be filled with the Holy Spirit, lay hands on the sick, watch them recover, prophesy, and speak in new tongues. That was the premise that new life was built on, and now we're finding out that people are now going, yeah, but. Pete, we've, we've matured as believers. We've, we've evolved as Christians, and that was great. I know y'all, we needed it back then, but now... We need an LED wall that gives people goosebumps with the smoke and the lights. And if we could just get these key moments every once in a while and make people feel good, like they're at a Beyonce concert, then, then we can say that was the Holy Spirit because I can control that. See, the issue with the church against the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit doesn't like to be controlled. He doesn't. And so when he finds a group of people that will, quote-unquote, quench the Holy Spirit, he will pull himself back from them. We're going to do a series in October and break down more about the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean to be super spiritual today, but Timothy says that in the last day there are going to be people who are lovers of the pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this is the thing that has bothered me about this next part of the same verse. Having the appearance of godliness but denies its power. The Sadducees and Pharisees of the day had the appearance of holiness but they wanted the power, not the people. And what we're seeing are well-meaning, good-intended people. And I don't believe that there are a lot of people that are just hateful. I think they've been, it's the whole thing where you have been conditioned to get to this place. And the craziest thing, and this is the most bizarre thing in my life that I've experienced, because it's happened since I was a kid to today, so I can say that I've actually seen this with my own two eyes, is that we're seeing churches, when I was little, we were seen as a cult. 
you are that church. And here's the crazy kicker now. Ready for this? I just read this this past week. It used to be this idea that the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, were so anti the Holy Spirit and everything that happens, and now we're seeing it shift. We're seeing it move, where now that there are actual, this is not just a, a random thing, the SBC is now looking at it going, well, we believe in the power of tongues. We believe it's for some, not all. I can meet you in the middle now. Hot dog, let's, let's commune with each other now. What we're seeing, and this is the scariest part of it all, when the, when, when the people who used to be in the denominationalism that was against the idea of a flow of the Holy Spirit begin to embrace it more than the charismatic churches, we have a problem. All right. So today, real quick, I'm gonna, there's a lot more, but I'm going to give you my 10 favorite reasons why you too should be praying in tongues. Okay? I don't know, uh, I typically get youth camps or at uh, some events, there is this, if you want to get filled, come, and they lay hands, and it's great. But I, I, I want to articulate to you the 10 reasons why I personally do it on a regular basis. Is that okay? So if you've got notes, take them out. 10 reasons that you should do this every single day. There are vast benefits. Number one, Ephesians 1, 17 through 18. Has this idea that you too can have, be, be broken down into, come on Pete. Ephesians is so small. 1, 17 and 18, it says this. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and those who were near. For through him we have access by one Spirit. Now Christ, praying in tongues, will, sorry, your heart, your eyes of your heart are now enlightened. There's an idea here that when you begin to be praying in tongues, and you begin to be walking in the Holy Spirit, and you begin to see these things take place in your life, you know what takes place? Who you are begins to be empowered. The idea that we have what's going on, when your eyes of your understanding are enlightened, you have the ability to walk in your anointing. Praying in tongues and believing in the Holy Spirit and walking in this gives you the opportunity to be awakened to who you are. When your eyes are awakened and you can see what's really going on, I can't tell you the, the amount of times that I have been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying, God, reveal yourself, reveal yourself, whatever it is that I need to do. Yeah, doing the thing. Can I tell you? I haven't gotten much of it. And then I find myself in a moment of praying in tongues. It seems like there has been this aha, eureka moment. Something that wasn't there is now there because the eyes of your understanding become enlightened and you are anointed to do the things that God has called you to do. And in the Old Testament, that was it. They were filled with the Spirit. He rested on them. Sorry, not filled. They, he rested on them for a purpose. The Holy Spirit is not a good luck charm. He's not meant to have a, hey, I pray in tongues tattoo, and you don't. He's not a, 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 an access pass that you look through. What he is, is he's empowering you to do what Jesus said you would do back in Acts 1, that you would do the crazy things that he would do now that you have him. He is sent to, for you to walk in your anointing. Number two is in Acts chapter 1.8. 
In Acts chapter 1-8, he will fill you with power, dunamis. He will fill you with this idea. That's where we get the word dynamite. There is an explosive force. And number two is this, is that we have access to his power. Praying in tongues for me, this is a horrible analogy, but I'll go for it anyways, is that you can, I say, you can have the Holy Spirit in your life without praying in tongues, but you lose something in the benefit. So for me, uh, the Holy Spirit power is inside of you. Praying in tongues for me is lighting the fuse for it to go in. It's the tss before the boom. And what's taking place is he wants to fill you up with the power of who he is to do the crazy things that we just sang about. To see cancer be destroyed. To see families coming home. To see the loss coming back. To see all of these things, the, the, the mass amount of, uh, 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 of, uh, of people who are dealing with mental illness in America is unprecedented. And I believe that you are called and anointed and filled to break that yoke. I don't believe in a, that, that having medicine is a bad thing. I don't. But I also believe that if we relegate our powers to the pharmaceutical companies, we also have to give our rights away to their side effects. Because whatever I use on a regular basis to give me what I need, I find myself attentive to its ear instead of something else. And... <laughs> This is why if I'm taking medicine, I will pray because my reliance is on the Holy Spirit. It has to be. He is my source. I also don't have the spirit of stupid. And so when it comes to this, my reliance isn't on my medicine. I take it because I need it, but he is my source. And I don't know what's going on in your life, but he wants to fill you with the power. Have you ever found yourself praying and you didn't believe what you were praying? Man, I have. I'm praying this. It's not going to happen, but I said I prayed it. In Romans chapter 8, we begin to pray things that we don't even understand what we're praying. Let me put it this way. When you begin to pray in tongues, it's a perfect prayer. Your mind is disconnected and you can't disagree with what you're praying about. And when I find myself on a regular basis living my life and I'm in a low spot, like we all find ourselves, when you feel like the world is caving in, which we've all been there before, the best thing for me is to pray in the Spirit. I pray in the Spirit because I can't counteract what I just been praying. I can't be like, no, 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 not Shunda Labotsai. No, I, I can't, I, I'm <laughs> My accent mark was on the wrong spot. No, what I find myself doing is I begin to pray in the Spirit because I know in my head I don't want to say the things that are, that, come on. I know that I can't figure out the words with faith, so I'm just going to have faith in who he is. That he's going to pray through me. When you don't know what to pray, you pray in tongues. It's what you do. Why? Because he prays through you, Acts 826. No, what is this, number four? We find ourselves in a low spot. Jude 1.20 says this, as you pray in tongues, you build yourself up. It's not a puffed up haughtiness, but the idea is that we build ourselves up in the most holy faith. Because when you are down, and when you have been beat up, and when you've been kicked, and you begin to pray in tongues, there is an arise that comes up inside of you. 
I can tell you this, I don't know what it is, and, and to this day, I've yet to figure it out. But it is hard for me to stay sad when I pray in tongues. I don't, I don't know. I can have the worst days and the horrible moments, and I can be sad and depressed in my prayers. You want to know how? Read Psalms. <laughs> David got down. But it's hard for me personally that when I'm down and I begin to pray in the Spirit to stay down because there is a buildup of Him inside of you. It is an awakening. It is a stirring up of His presence inside of you. We build ourselves up. 1 Corinthians 14 says that we also edify ourselves. There's a difference between pumping yourself up and edifying yourself. It's a crazy thing. How, how praying in tongues can do so many different things at the same moment. And it's hard for us to believe it, that there's no way Holy Spirit can do this. However, we'll watch a, a, an Instagram video or a TikTok video of this special uh, organic green powder that you mix with water, and it cures every disease known to man. It's only going to cost you $99 every scoop. And it's got to be good if it costs that much. And it tastes like garbage. Got to be good if it tastes bad. But when it comes to Holy Spirit, there's no way He's good for us. We edify ourselves. Romans 8.27 says that as we pray, we begin to pray for other men and women of the faith that you don't even know about. 8.27, you begin to pray in tongues, and you begin to worship, and you begin to speak things out, and you begin to pray over people maybe you've not even ever connected for. That's what, that's what he says, 8.27. Y'all looking at me like I'm a crazy person. Hold on a second. Got to prove myself to this church. Now he who searches the hearts and knows the mind, the Spirit makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. As you begin to pray in tongues... You may not even have a clue what's going on in EJ's life, but you're praying for her. You may not be praying in tongues, and you hear the, 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 the word Pastor Allen, and then you go back in tongues. You're just praying, and the Holy Spirit is sending out His will on this earth to people you don't even know about. It's not just your circle, because you could be currently praying for people that are all the way over in Afghanistan. You could be praying for the saints that are in Russia. You could be praying for the saints that are in Uganda. You could be praying everywhere. You have no idea who you're praying for, but the Holy Spirit says, I need your prayers at this spot, at this time. Do it. And you begin to pray. You begin to grant him access into parts of the world that you don't even know exist. Acts 10, 44 through 46 is one of my favorite parts. We begin to, to pray in tongues. We, we are giving glory to God. This is the story of Pentecost when it breaks. And while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all the, who heard the message. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. And it says this, For they heard them speaking in tongues, praising God. They heard people that could not speak their language beginning to speak about the praises of God in a foreign language. This is one of the biggest reasons why I feel 
as I am in a low spot and I begin to sing in the Spirit, I begin to pray in the Spirit, so all of a sudden I'm feeling edified because here's the crazy thing. As I begin to praise God from the depths of my soul, crazy things happen. He shows up and depression has to leave when he shows up. Everything that has a name has to bow in that moment when he shows up. And one of the biggest things is that as believers, we don't need a worship team to follow us and carry the presence wherever he goes. We don't need Thomas running behind you at the assembly lines with a guitar. You don't need me showing up next to your cubicle with my piano. What you need is to be praying in the spirit and watch him show up where you are because you can give praises to God wherever you are at any given moment, whether you can sing or not. And when he shows up, atmospheres change. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 tells us that we can pray for things that we don't even know about. This happens. My parents do this and it makes me mad. In high school, I was a saint. <laughs> Poster child of perfection. And the Holy Spirit is the biggest tattletale I've ever heard of in my entire life. One day I was riding through Prattville, and this is before we had, you know, Life 360 and find my iPhones and all that stuff. I had a Nokia phone that was built like a brick. Some of you guys remember those. You paid per minute. Fantastic times. Until it was like, what, 6 o'clock? Then you had unlimited nights and weekends? Yeah. Nine? You got a horrible plan. Yeah, no. Um, so I'm, I, I am, my parents at this season of my life are Oh, just throw your iPad on the ground. Uh, my parents at the season of my life are working in Otagaville, which means they have no way to know what I'm doing and when I'm doing it. So I thought. There was no LoJack or Apple tags. They had something just the biggest narc in the world. They had the Holy Spirit. And I'll never forget, I'm driving down the road, and my phone rings. It's my mom, and I answer the phone. Hey, Mom, what's up? What you doing, Pete? N nothing. Really? Yep. So you're currently not driving down Cobbsville Road, heading, heading to, I think it was Josh's house? There's no car behind. So what do you mean? She goes, Pete, answer the question. And I'm like, who, who told you where I was? Holy Spirit. But what's his real name? Is it Miss Elaine? Like, who, who is behind me tattletelling on me? Because what she didn't realize at that moment was that I was on my way to go do something that could have been potentially horrible for myself. But the Holy Spirit did. And he prompts her. She begins to pray. And all of a sudden, she has an understanding of something she shouldn't know about. I'm turning my truck around. I'm going home. Because when you begin to pray in tongues, he gives you insight into things that you shouldn't know about. The Holy Spirit is the worst secret keeper of all time. Because he wants to tell you the secrets about you. He wants to tell you the secrets about your kids. He wants to tell you the secrets about work. He wants to tell you the secrets about breakthrough. All of these glass ceilings that we have been living through for all of these years, the things that you've been frustrated about, 
He wants to tell you the secrets. He wants to reveal to you the secret mysteries if you want them. If you want them. Last but not least, number 10. You begin to pray in a unified prayer where nothing is out of reach. Romans 8, 16 tells us this. The Spirit himself bears witnesses that we are the children of God. And here's what's crazy is there are not a lot of Holy Spirits out there. There is one Spirit that speaks the language of God. Are you with me? And as you begin to pray in tongues, you speak the language of God. There is a tribe in in the Amazon that refuses to allow any single person come into their tribe if they don't speak their language. There is no translators. There are no interpreters. They will not allow a foreign language to be heard in their ears. Why? Because they believe that they hold on to the only language that the gods can understand. And their idea is if that our language gets tainted, it doesn't matter what we pray, their gods will not be able to understand what they're praying. And they value the language of the gods so much that they will push everything else out so they can stay where they are. And we have allowed ourselves to look at the language of God and go, well, it doesn't matter. It's, it makes other people uncomfortable. I'm not saying as you drive to McDonald's today and you order number three that you should say it in tongues and hope they can interpret. But I am saying that you should never be ashamed of who you are. You should never be ashamed of whose you are. And as you begin to pray in tongues, lastly, it unifies you to do the impossible. And it unifies you with other believers who aren't even with you right now. And this is why one of the biggest things is that that we have taken this idea, uh, which Paul says that you should not be, if you're going to be praying in tongues in church, do it with an interpretation. The kicker is this. Context is everything. Paul says that I pray in tongues more than you all. But what he's also saying is that there's a time and a place for us to speak our language so everyone has understanding, and there's a time and a place for us to pray in the heavenly language. And can I tell you, he wasn't saying that if you have more than one person together, you should never pray in the language. What he is saying, though, is that as we gather together and we're here to deliver a specific word like I'm doing right now, that we shouldn't get up and preach our sermons in tongues. But he's not saying that as we gather together, it shouldn't be in existence. Because as we pray together, and as we begin to lift up the Holy Spirit in his mighty name, as we begin to flow in the gifts, the secrets are unlocked. In fact, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 11, you see that God and the angels post the flood, show up to this place called Babel, and they look down, and God says something that has blown my mind ever since. And he says this, and he says, Behold, they are one people and have one language, and this is the beginning of what they will do. For nothing is impossible for them. So, his answer, wipe them off the earth. No. Their answer was, break up the language. And as you begin to pray in tongues with other believers, it unifies, and the Holy Spirit goes, there's nothing impossible that they put their minds to. 
Because as you begin to pray, you're praying the will of God. You're, 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 you're praying perfect prayers. People are being edified, and you're lifting up each other. You're, as you begin to pray in the Spirit, you don't know what you may be praying, but He does. And it's a unification of what's taking place. And as we look at new life and our future, I can promise you this, we will not be okay if we are not being led by the Spirit of God. You should never be ashamed of who you are. You should never be ashamed that you are filled with the Spirit of God. You should never have to hide your talents. LeBron James, in his prime, didn't dumb himself down to the level of the average, but he made himself superhuman on the basketball court. Why? Because he had the talent. You have a gift that the world needs. Stop believing the lie. Stop believing the lie that you have to hide who you are. Because they're desperate for it. Because as I pray in the Spirit, and I can look at somebody, and with love and with grace, begin to edify things, and they go, how did you know that? How did you know that I was going through that? How did you? They're smiling on the inside, but you can see that they are dead on the inside. They're out there having a great day. Everything's great. How's your day? Great weekend. Had so much fun. Yada, 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 yada. And you're all of a sudden beginning to feel a, a check in your spirit, like something's not right. And you begin to pray, and you begin to pray, and you begin to pray, and you realize, no, she's not actually telling the truth. She's doing all of this activity, but something's not right. And you begin to love, and you begin to look at, and you begin to speak to who she really is or who he really is, and you watch them break. And the power and the presence of God and you begin to build them back up on who they are. That's what the world needs. Every man, woman, and child out there is walking around socially with Instagram filters on, and the Holy Spirit sees the real them. The Holy Spirit sees what's taking place on you. and He wants to edify you, and he wants to edify them. He wants to build up and to unify, not to break down. The, the Holy Spirit was not sent to this world to break churches apart, but to bring them together. And as you allow him to change and transform your life, and you begin to do these things, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, you will find yourself living in a world of satisfaction and supernatural things taking place that you can't even explain except for but God. Amen? Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this day. Holy Spirit, we, are, we welcome you in every service that we have. We need you in our lives. We need you here. God, I just thank you that you give us grace, mercy, and understanding of what's going on. Holy Spirit, let us turn from our ways as we have been hiding ourselves. Let us embrace the power of who you are in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here's everyone's homework today. This week, I want every single one of you today, if, you have the Holy, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, spend five to ten minutes every single day for this week. Every single day, you pick your time, driving down the road, sitting at your house, at your cubicle, I don't really care, it's not my job, and you begin to, 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 to pray in the Spirit. And I want you to watch the breakthroughs that take place over the next week. Amen? If you're not filled and you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you say, I want some of that, we're going to have people up here like Pastor Allen and Pastor Mar Marcia, she's our new pastor, um, and who is going to be up here and, and we're, going to be, we're going to watch Holy Spirit work in your life. So if that's something you want, if you've never had, come on up front and we'll take care of that today too. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.